morning, church. Great to be here for our Bible school time this morning. And um, welcome to all those who are online. Theme of the lesson is the prodigal son. Um, last week I was in the toddler, toddler room, so I didn't hear Kev, uh, Covey. But it goes here from the prodigal son. And then next week the lesson is on Matthew 18, 1 through 9. Matthew 18, 1 through 9, if you'd like to read that. So I don't know if he's just jumping from lesson to lesson here right now, uh, but we're going to be looking at the prodigal son. Uh, can anybody tell me what takes place there in Luke 15? Luke chapter 15, there's three things that are, that are lost, but there's three things that are found. Anybody know those? Mm-hmm. There was a lost sheep, lost coin, and and the lost son. Correct. Excuse me. I'm going to put drops in here while we're talking, and um, we see these three things that um, Jesus talks about in this parable, and uh, we're going to be starting in verse 11. And going through 24. 25 starts with the older brother. And dad has to have a talk with him and everything. But our lesson doesn't get into that. It doesn't get into the first two objects either. But we know the guy had 100 sheep. One got lost. He left the 99. He goes and finds the one that is lost. And he finds it. He brings it back and they rejoice. And the statement is made, there's more rejoicing in heaven. Um, over one sinner who repents. And then we see the um, lady there losing, or she has 10 silver coins. She loses one. Um, some of the writings in that, that that I've seen on this say there were no windows in the place where she was. So that's why they, she had to light a candle and then she got a little broom and swept through the house searching and she finds that lost coin. She too invites her friends over to rejoice with her. And again, the statement's made that there's uh, more joy in heaven over one lost sinner uh, that comes back than her, I guess, having the nine here or the shepherd having the 99. Today is um, kind of strange when you look at the, the prodigal son here, because what does the pro pro uh, prodigal son ask for? His inheritance, okay? But who is this son? He's the younger. He's the younger son, okay? And he asked for his inheritance. What would the older son have received? He would have received double. He receives double. So I don't know how the father, first off, would go and divide this, what mathematical scheme or whatever... He would have used, but the older son would have got double, so he would have only got a third. But this is really weird. It goes against the law of Moses because when were they to receive the inheritance? After the father would die. So this is kind of um, confusing when you look at this and you study it and you meditate and think about it. 
You're like, wait a second, that son had no right to ask for this. Dad hadn't died, and there would have had to been some type of mediator to look at everything that was given, and then they would have divided it up. Maybe one of them wanted the property, or maybe one of them wanted the home, or one wanted the silver and the livestock or something in that nature. I don't know how they, they would have done that, but if anything, it would have been the older son to be asking for the double portion. And again, how long is dad going to live? How much more money are they going to make? And now they're going to get kind of kicked here, the dad, plus the um, older son, because this boy is going to get his inheritance, and he takes off. So it's not like he was going to stay there and still have those monies accruing and building with whatever they were doing there upon the farm. So it's kind of interesting when, when we look at this and then um, think about some of the things that we know of from scriptures. Um, now this is a, a parable here of the lost son, but people call it the parable of the prodigal son. Okay, so we're going to look at uh, some of these things here real quick this morning. So sometimes in families there can be Shame, there can be selfishness, and a lot of times those things are the root of broken families. Scriptures describe families who ex experienced conflict for this reason. One family is found in Genesis 21, 1 through 20, and then 21, verse 27, and verse 37. Anybody know? Who's being talked about here? Okay, this is Isaac and Rebekah and his, their two sons, Esau and Jacob. And uh, we see the, the problems that occurred there. Jacob got his brother to sell his birthright blessing to him. Mom loved Jacob. Dad loved Esau because of his venison. And they have troubles in their family till finally, um, when Esau wants the deathbed blessing, Isaac may have been sick. He was losing his eyesight. He may have thought, hey, I don't have long to live. I want to make sure that my favorite son here, my firstborn, gets this blessing. But he goes off to hunt to get some venison and make some savory stew for his dad and have a meal with him. And then his dad was going to bless him with the deathbed blessing. But he doesn't die. He lives, I think, for like 20 more years. But Rebecca, or a servant that's close to Rebecca, hears this conversation. And Rebecca said, this is what we're going to do. And he dresses up like his brother. And they kill a goat and serve it as savory stew. And uh, he, he gets the blessing, Jacob does. And then Esau gets mad and wants a deathbed blessing too. His dad said, I don't have a blessing for you. And we see that Esau's then going to kill his brother. So mom says, hey, go home with my brother Laban. And he leaves. He never sees his mom again. He's there for 20 years. There's a broken family. There's problems. Esau is there and um, I guess received the property and the lands and whatnot. And whenever Jacob returns, his, his name is Israel. He's given that name on his return trip. And what does he do? He thinks his brother's going to kill him. He's coming with a, a small army. It was either three or 400 men. 
And um, he gives the gifts, wave after wave of gifts to him. And he never does go to Esau's. He says that he will. But it caused problems. And it's caused problems because Esau's descendants and, and uh, Jacob's uh, descendants warred and fought and had problems uh, throughout Israel's history. So sometimes we can see these broken relationships and we see problems that, that radiate from them. But as we look here, would uh, Jesus' depiction of a broken family be repeated with these themes as we look at the prodigal son or the father and his two sons here in this parable. And could he, he use these themes, Jesus' teaching, to change the hearts of his audience? So lesson text, the writer says here, the meaning and implications of parables have been greatly debated. The Greek word translated parable in many places is also translated proverb. In the Septuagint, the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, a form of the same Greek word is used regarding a proverb or a song of warning. Now, at the core of a parable, we call them parables, we don't call it proverbs, but at the core of these parables, a biblical uh, parable, it compares something similar like an object or an experience to do what? To receive truth about God and about his works. We've probably heard the idea that a parable was throwing one truth along another truth, throwing an earthly truth out there so that we can get God's message of the spiritual truth or the heavenly meaning that he wants uh, us to see. So we want to kind of look for that in this parable here. And parables function on two levels. Their literal reference and their spiritual implications. I can't see and my tongue's not working. Jesus taught with parables to challenge his audience to consider the assumptions or attitudes of theirs were at odds with God's work that he wanted them to do. Today's scripture is frequently called the parable of the prodigal son, while modern audiences sometimes use the designation prodigal to speak of the rebellion of the younger son. The word meaning is associated with reckless waste, reckless spending, and we see, again, the parable is the third in a series. We have the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now we have the lost son. All three parables include sim similar themes, if you read them. Something valuable is lost. The sheep is valuable. The coin is valuable. The son is valuable. And they're all lost. But we see that these lost things are found. The sheep's found, the coin's found, and the boy was found, but did dad go out or older brother and find him? He comes to his senses and uh, 
comes back to the family and he was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive, Jesus says. And in all three of these, a celebration ensues. Each one of them, they celebrate. So Jesus told these parables as a response to the criticism from the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These groups were very upset with Jesus. If you flip back there to the second verse of Luke 15, I'll start with verse 1. Luke 15, 1 and 2 says, Then all the tax collectors and the sitters drew near to him, to hear him. They were drawing near to Jesus. They wanted to hear him his preaching and his teaching. Verse 2 says, and the scribes, or excuse me, the Pharisees and the scribes murmured saying, this man receives sinners who eats with them. So the Pharisees and the scribes, they wouldn't go and, and meet with these sinners or these tax collectors and try to teach them and to try to get them to be obedient to the law of Moses and to ask for forgiveness and to meet the requirements that the law would say if it sacrifices, paying retribution back or whatnot. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector. What did he say? If I've wronged anybody, I'll pay him how much back? I, well, four is what the law says, but did he say he would pay him five times as much? So he wouldn't have had anything, but we don't see that, do we? Because he had the records and everything. He could have went with the records and somebody could have blamed him for taking more, but he could have said, here's what you paid and here's what you owed. It's the same amount. So uh, that's what they were saying about him. And Zacchaeus was probably a, a decent man from the scriptures. But he was the head one, so he had other guys working for him. So could those people have defrauded the people? Yeah, you could owe two denarii, and they come along and say, you know what, you, you owe two, two denarii and uh, a drachma, uh, that's your tax. So they'd take the two and do what? Put it in the coffer, and what they do with the drachma? If you do that with enough people, you're going to add up to having some silver and some gold. Uh, so it's very possible that those who worked under him were bad. But uh, Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, went to lengths to, be, to see him. One of the apostles was a tax collector. Which one? Levi, Matthew. Okay. And if he was some scoundrel... Would Jesus have taken him and, or is an apostle? I don't, I don't think so. I think the guy did right, did good. His, his book's a wonderful gospel that he wrote. And again, there's a lot of sinners that did follow Jesus. There were people that were uh, said to be prostitutes. And again, many people with many various sins. And he was able to forgive them and uh, had them follow his group. And again, these Pharisees and these scribes, they're saying Jesus had no right to eat with these, these sinners. And uh, who did Jesus come to save? The lost. So who, who, who would he have been with? Sinners and tax collectors and people that needed him. Did the Pharisees and the scribes need Jesus in their mind? In their mind. 
No, they didn't. But did they need it? Yeah. What would you say? Blind leading the blind. Yeah, for sure. These guys were blind guides leading people into a ditch. Okay, we, we would probably agree with the Pharisees on a lot of things, you know, and they were these tithers, and they tithe everything out to little baby dill seed and so forth. But they would do other things that on the outside they were showing maybe that they were religious, but inside in their heart and their minds they weren't. So it's like the, the pot calling the kettle black. The Pharisees and Sadducees were lost too. They needed Jesus. What's Paul tell the Romans? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did the Pharisees fall? Did the scribes fall? Did they have sins in their lives? For sure. They all did. Okay. Hope that made sense. Jump back in here. So Jesus here again told these parables as a response to criticism from the Pharisees and teachers of the law. These were groups, these groups were upset again, the Pharisees and scribes, because Jesus welcomed these sinners. Throughout his ministry, Jesus associated with people whom the religious leaders considered unclean. These people included Jewish tax collectors who collected taxes for the ruling powers. Tax collectors were hated and regarded as having betrayed their people because they assisted the Roman Empire and acted corruptly, supposedly, for what they, they took. And I'm not saying some of them didn't take more. They probably did. And again, another group that Jesus frequently associated was with sinners. This title applies to people who had failed to follow the law of Moses, as interpreted by the religious leaders of the day. You see that you had to follow not only the law, but all their laws that they added to the law to somehow make it make more sense. And um, did they have right to add to God's law? No, they didn't. So Jesus' association with these people was not limited to the public gatherings. He shared meals with them before they had sought the proper means of forgiveness and restitution as prescri prescribed by the law. His association with them was critical to his mission to seek and save that which is lost, Luke 19, verse 10, and to bring repentance and salvation, Luke 5, 29 through 31. Any comments there on our introduction? Okay, let's jump into the scripture. Well known, you know it. We'll make some comments as we go down through it. Um, the lesson writer breaks this up into two groups. He breaks it up in the dishonorable son, being this younger one. And then the other part would be the compassionate father in, in welcoming him back. <clears throat> Excuse me while I get a drink here. <clears throat> Luke. 15, starting in verse 11. Pretty simple. Then he said, that's Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. Did Jesus talk about fathers having two sons in other parables and teachings? He did. 
One that pops to my mind real quickly is the one where he asked the son to go in the field and work, and he said, nope, I'm not. And then he asked the other son, and he said, yeah, I'll be there. And what happened? The first one that he asked, he repented, regretted that he told his father no, and he went and worked. And the one that said he was going to be there, what did he do? He didn't show up. Okay. So now here's another parable with a, uh, a certain man. We don't know his name. And two sons. We don't know their names. Okay. We see here in uh, verse 12, we see this uh, shameful demand that this son asked for. And again, he had no right to ask for this according to the law. This could have been rebellion and, and uh, he could have been taken and killed for what he was doing and asking. What he was saying is, is give me my inheritance. Uh, I wish you were dead, Dad. I wish you was dead so I could get the inheritance. Isn't that sad? Man, all right, let's see what they say here. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them in his livelihood. Did the father have to do that? Was the, again, we could assume some things maybe. Was the father old and maybe going to die soon? And maybe did he think, okay, if dad dies and it's just me and brother, brother's going to try to take everything. You know, did they have a will or anything written? It would probably be more oral types of things. Uh, the son could, if they lived by uh, elders or the Pharisees or something, or the scribes and those who wrote the law, they may have been able to get things and said, hey, here's what all dad has. Yes, he gets a double portion, but I at least get mine. I at least get a third here of all of these goods. So maybe we'll throw a bone out there for the dog here with uh, the younger son. Maybe something like that was going on. Maybe the... Um, Son and the father didn't get along. They were arguing. They were fighting. Dad never wanted to listen to his ideas on the farm and how to do things. Maybe the two boys were in constant battle and fighting like Esau and Jacob. Okay, they were always bickering and picking at each other. Maybe these types of things were transpiring. Any comments here on either of those verses, 11 or 12? Okay, verse 13. And not many days after, once dad does do this and gives him his portion, we're told not many days. Was it a couple of days? Was it a week? Was it a month? Okay, did he have to maybe go out and sell some items, you know, to get what he had? Could he have taken, you know, a couple cows with him or goats or sheep or something with him? That would have been hard if he was traveling, um, you know, whatever goods were there that he liked or wanted? Um, would he have had to take them down to the pawn shop down in Jerusalem and sell them to get the money for them or sell them to a nearby neighbor or something? <clears throat> not sure, but once he gets things squared away, it says not many days after the younger son gathered all that he got 
And he journeyed to a far country. It's interesting here how Jesus teaches the parables. Doesn't tell us the father's name. Doesn't tell us the son's names. Doesn't tell him what country he went to. Why? Doesn't matter to the story, right? Jesus has something that he wants us to catch. And it's not looking at all these incidentals and saying, oh, these, these are real significant or important. Okay, these characters were involved here and, and this is what happened in this account that he gives. But uh, he wants us to catch something more with, with deep, deeper meaning. He goes to this far country and what does he do? He says, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. What's that mean? Wasteful. Okay, wasteful. So can you throw out an idea of how it could be wasteful? Spending on the wrong things. Spending on the wrong things. We're not told that he went and started a business and lost it or invested his money in something and somehow lost it, right? But he goes here, according to this, and wastes his possessions. Now, if you were going to a far country and you didn't know anybody, what would you probably do? Go into the saloon and what would you say? I'm buying around for everybody. Let's party. Those people didn't know him. Sure, they're going to take the food he's going to offer or the drink that he's going to offer or whatever. And he's thinking, oh, well, they're going to buy me meals or give me a drink or do something in return. But that's not what happens. Doesn't take him long with however much money he has here. He wastes these possessions. And it says he does it with prodigal living. What does that mean? What was it? Selfish. selfish? Yes, he was being selfish. But what is this idea of prodigal living? Somebody want to read verse 30 for us, what the boy says. And he's not corrected. Anybody read verse 30? Okay, Donna. Um, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. What? They're not free, are they? Go ahead. You killed the fattened calf for him. So this guy, he's a prodigal. He's going and spending his money buying prostitutes. He's wasting his money, again, probably buying food and drink and different things for people. He could have wasted it in some kind of games of chance and gambling. Okay, but the prodigal here, this, this idea is he was with prostitutes. He was with harlots, okay? So he's out there. He doesn't care if he gets a sexually transmitted disease or what. He's out there with whoever and whenever, and he's living the wildlife. You know, maybe he never went that far from the farm before, maybe down in the town to get some, some goods that they may need or whatever and never saw these things. But he goes to a, a different country, may not be able to speak their language and he gets caught up in this prodigal living and that prodigal living would be again drinking and gambling and being with prostitutes and so forth any uh, 
other comments there. Yes, CJ. We're allowed to do that, right, CJ? Are, are we? I'm, try, I'm playing devil's advocate with you. That's right. We shouldn't be gambling and drinking on Sunday. What's that? Well, it's not the Sabbath. We don't, we don't celebrate a Sabbath. But yeah, I can show you we shouldn't look at the bubbles in the glass. If I can't look at the bubbles, I can't drink it. Uh, strong drink, the proverb writer says, is to be given to those who are dying. They're in pain. They've been wounded in battle. Get them drunk. Take the pain away so that they can suffer and pass from this life to the next a little easier. Okay, so drinking and getting drunk is wrong. A drunkard shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, gambling. Does God want us out there gambling or and being involved in these types of vices and wasting what we have and maybe our bills aren't getting paid, maybe our children aren't being fed and clothed properly. So we could see, you know, what, what was going on here was bad. CJ? I'd rather give my money to the church than I'd rather give That's right. At least you're uh, sending it ahead to heaven, sending your, tre your treasures there. There was another comment. He, he may not have known how fast money goes. So he may not have known that. And with what he was doing, we're not given a, a time period um, how long it took him to waste the money. But Jesus wants us to clearly get the point. He was sinning, doing wrong, and he wasted what he got. Now what? Now what's the guy going to do? Okay, let's see what happens here. It goes from living the high life and feasting, and now he's going to go into starving. He's going to go into uh, a famine. My dad always used to tell me that. Son, you got your paycheck there. You're going to need money for two weeks. You go out and waste it. I don't have money to fill your gas tank up a bunch and this, that, and the other, so you better budget. You better have enough money to get back and forth from work and do what you need to do. And uh, again, that is a, uh, a wise thing. So verse 14, it says, when he spent it all, my paraphrase there, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. So he wasted everything he had. He doesn't have anything. And uh, what do you think he probably started to do? Well, before that, before that, hey man, how much you give me for my sandals? Uh, hey, I got this really nice robe here, outer tunic. What would you give me for this? I bet you he sold whatever he had. And again, that didn't go far. Okay, so the monies and whatever he had, he got rid of that. And now it gets down where we know when he goes home, he doesn't even have shoes on his feet. So we know he sold those to try to get food. He probably uh, sold his clothes 
and everything. And this famine hit, and uh, why would famines hit? <laughs> Drought, what else? What? Disease, maybe the plants had some kind of disease. What else? We're, we're talking about why the famine hit in a far country. These people aren't Israelites. These are Gentiles. What's that? Uh, possibly. CJ? There were, there's poor people in all lands. Okay. Here comes the armies coming. And they're marching up through our territory. What do they do? Eat it, burn the crops, or all of your men and so forth are off with whatever weaponry they have trying to fight to keep the enemy off so there's no one there to go and harvest the goods that are there. So what happens to them? They could rot. So a lot of times when we think of a famine hitting, we think, oh, it was no water. It was a drought. No water and the sun was too hot this summer. It killed everything. Yeah, but it could have been war that caused it. Insects, locusts come, eat it all up. Okay, lots of different reasons why this, this famine came, but no what, whatever, it was like, feast in here, now I'm famining in a famine and I don't have any money. Verse 15 says, then he went and joined himself with a citizen of the country. And we know he was a Gentile because he sent him out, I added that, because he sent him to go out and work with pigs, with Jew own, Jews own pigs. No, but the Gentiles would now, this guy's fallen, hasn't he? He was with dad. Everything was cool. He thought, hey, I'll get what I got. Won't have to work for dad anymore on the farm or brother. And he's going to get all my work. He's going to get a double portion anyway. I'll take my stuff and go down in this country. Goes down there and squanders it, trying to make friends and partying and uh, laying with women he shouldn't have been laying with. Spends everything. Now this famine hits. And then now for a Jew, if he knew anything about the law, shouldn't have been associating with the Gentiles. And now the unclean beast, he's down there feeding them in the muck, in the mire. Terrible. Verse 16. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. So now he wants to eat pig food. What are these pods? No, these are, these are pods. Bill? Peas in a pod. These would be long pods if they're from the carob plant. But would the pigs care? Pigs are going to eat it. You know, they're going to eat it. 
And if it is the carob pods that they grew over there in, in those, that um, type of arid um, landscape and environment, these things would have probably been about this big, kind of like that shape. Maybe there'd be about five or six little nuggets inside them. And they were a purplish brown color if you get on your, your phone and you look these uh, carob, C-A-R-O-B, carob pods up, you'll, you can see a picture of them. Now, I was told that some of these could um, get you sick if you were a person and you ate them. But now they're finding if they're dealt with properly, they have a lot of antioxidants in them. And uh, there's some good things in herbal st stores and so forth. They have a uh, carob pod. It would be that inner seed that Bill was talking about, ground up. And uh, be like a powdery type stuff. And people use a certain amount of this for some health benefits. So whatever it is, pigs are getting it. And was the young boy getting it? No. And who knows? He may have had... Uh, People watching him, make sure that he was working and slopping the hogs. Why? Because the hogs were important to the master, right? His, his boss. Because they ate him. So if things get real bad, he can start slaughtering the meat and selling it at the market or to neighbors and friends. And then they'd have enough that they could eat. They could smoke some of it so that it would last for a while. So for the farmer... You know, he could probably get anybody to come and swap the hogs for him and make whatever they were going to pay him to do this. Um, but these pigs were worth more to this man than this, this boy or young man was. So interesting here. And he's desiring them. I mean, his belly's growling and he's wanting to eat the pig food. I hope I never get to that place where I desire and want the pig food. Can't even get the pig food. <clears throat> 16. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. No one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, does anybody say came to his senses? Okay. He came to his senses. So what, what does that have? What would that mean to you? Well, repentance, but if he came to his senses, he, he knew it in his, in his conscience, in his mind. He's wising up. He's realizing, oh boy, I made some terrible mistakes. And then this famine hit and I'm in bad trouble. I can't eat the pig food. I don't have enough money to buy any food. Or if I do, maybe I have to save for a couple of days and get some. And then I'm working, so I expend that and I need more food. And I'm laying there cold at night because I sold my tunic and my shoes. And, you know, this guy's laying there and thinking about all this. And he's like, this is terrible. This is nuts. You know, why did I do this? And he goes on and he said, when he came to himself, when he, when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? 
So now he thinks back at dad's where he said more or less, I wish he was dead because I want my portion of the inheritance. And uh, I'm sure dad said, don't leave. Keep working here in the farm. Things are good. Things are grow. That third that you have is going to grow. Yeah, your brother's two-thirds is going to grow or double portion, but yours is going to grow too. You know, you have clothing here, you got shelter, you got food, everything you need. And he even remembers the servants. They have a place to stay and they have clothes. And they have more than enough to eat every day and they have some left over. And he doesn't have anything. So, I mean... This is good that he has these memories because the goodness of God or the goodness of the Father can bring you uh, to repentance. So he says here in verse 18, I will rise and go to my father. will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came. So we see here he gets a plan. He said, I'm going home. I, I hope I can make it. And when I get there, I'm going to tell dad, I know I don't deserve to be here, um, but would you hire me as a servant? And, and I know I've sinned against heaven and uh, God's laws. I've sinned against you and, and probably his brother too. He doesn't mention him by what he did. But he's like, man, could you just hire me as a servant? Because he knows he's going to get paid, and at least he's going to have, have food to eat here. And it says when he arose and came to his father, it says, but when he was still a great way off, maybe dad was able to look all the way across these fields, and he, he's looking at this guy coming, and he can just tell from his stride and the, and the way that he's walking. Maybe he had a coat on that he made for him and said, I only know one person that has a coat like that. I bought him that. So maybe these things are going on. And when dad saw him, he had compassion for him. And he runs and falls on his neck and kisses him. Dad's so happy to see him. So glad that he's back safe. And in his mind, he doesn't care about what happened. He just cares about now. My boy's home. Maybe he learned some good lessons and valuable lessons by, by what he did. And the boy didn't say, hey, Dad, I'm back. Everything's good to go. No, remember, verse 21 says, and the son said to him, write what he planned and said he was going to do. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Who there at the father's house didn't have sandals on? The servants, the slaves, they were barefoot. If you had sandals on your feet, who were you? You were important. You had money. So this robe, he brought the best robe. The best robe that was in the house, showing that he had money and authority and power. That robe was put on him. 
And these sandals are put on his feet, showing he's not a slave. And he's given a ring. It wasn't just like a, any old ring. But the ring had the family crest on it. It was like having the credit card of the family again. He can go and buy and sell and trade with that stamp for his father when he wanted him to. This is wonderful compassion and love and mercy the father gives for this prodigal son. And then what's he say there in 23? Bring the fattened calf out. How often did they eat the fattened calf? And not very often. How many fattened calves were there? We, we don't know. There, there may have only been one. It was this one. Maybe they had two or three. We don't, we don't know. But he tells him, bring the fattened calf. There's one calf that the servants and the slave knows that this is the best one. And they brought it. And they were going to butcher it up, process it, and uh, have a feast and be merry. Now, if the fattened calf was brought, would the dad and the two sons and the servants be able to eat all of that? No. Some of it would go bad. So what, what is implied happens? They invited family and friends just like they did in the other two parables. Come and rejoice. My son who is dead is alive. My son who's lost, he's found. Come and celebrate with us. And there was music and dancing and um, some revelry and camaraderie and uh, stories that were told. He probably told what had happened to him and probably laughed at it now but thought, man, what an idiot I was. And but look at the lessons I learned. Verse 24 tells us, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. <clears throat> you know, this can happen to us. We can be Christians, one of the two sons under the father. But we think, okay, I, I, I'm good. I, I did what I needed to do. And then we fall away and backslide into the world. We go out there and squander things and even our spiritual inheritance by our sinning and not confessing of our sins and getting right with the Father. But this boy had a chance. He came to his sentence. He repented and, get, and he was welcomed back as a son. If this would ever happen to any of us where we would sin and backslide back into the world and you get your senses back, get back to the Father He's waiting. He'll see you from afar. He'll run to you. He's already given us the elder son to pay the debt of our sin that we could never pay. He's the propitiation for our sins. So what a wonderful story where we can learn. And again, he didn't, didn't go into the, the older brother. That would have taken a lot more time. But hopefully that was... Uh, Beneficial to think about the story of the prodigal son again this morning. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. We praise you and thank you for this account and this story. Maybe uh, some of us here have been prodigals and had to come back to you. And we thank you for receiving us back, dear God. And 
uh, help us to not make those mistakes in our lives or to make them again, but to keep on that straight and narrow path and be advancing and moving forward for you. Again, we love you and thank you and praise you. And we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. 